Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are She's Gotta Have It! Exclamation mark. Hello and welcome to another episode of She's Gotta Have It! Exclamation mark. In which we talk about episode eight, the final episode of I Love, I Love Dick. Dick. And this episode is called Cowboys and Nomads. And the Amazon summary is that Silver writes his own letter while Chris explores a new reality with Dick. Devin's performance awakens the people of Marfa. Ooh. Ooh, the beauty dance. The beauty dance. All right, but before we dive into that, listeners, let's talk about what we you want. <laughs> what what do we want? I want to incorporate squatting, as I showed you upstairs. Mm-hmm. So the, the sort of deep, full squat into my life in a small way. I really feel like because I'm able to do that, because I'm so flexible, it's a really great sort of resting position for me to be in. And I've started actually today, I tried to attach it to something. Like every time I look at my phone, I squat. So to figure it a little bit out. In these last days, I guess my body's been really painful and spasmy and I want to best figure out how to manage my body. Yeah, that's a good thing to to want. So hopefully that will be able easy to incorporate into your life yes what i want is so as i've mentioned in the past listeners i am marie condoing my apartment at the moment and i have now i've i'm now about to enter phase three which is the papers Mm. phase so i've already done clothing and books and it has felt like very good and very cathartic but now i have a whole bunch of clothing and books that are like piled up for me to sort through and give away and i And I have not been prioritizing that, but I know that once I start to actually like take it out of my apartment and uh, bring it to different venues or, you know, throw whatever needs to be thrown in the garbage in the garbage or taking it to different places, I will feel good and it will feel cathartic. And so what I want this week is to prioritize some clearing because I know that as things clear out of my apartment, it will get easier to continue the Marie condoing because I'm about to dive into the papers section. And this is the hardest for me as an academic because I think it's easy in our, our lives in general to accumulate papers. And if you're an academic, you it's like two or three times as bad. I'm sure there's other professions where it's just, it's just constant... And I really am excited to sort through stuff and get rid of stuff and, and really kind of pare it all right down. But I need uh, I need some space, some mental space in which to do that. So I think I need to clear out the stuff that I've already set aside to kind of make some space for the next task. I love that Marie Kondoing is a verb that we all understand now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just think of this little friendly Japanese woman yeah. who just wants me to have joy in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so like a kind of benevolent force helping me along. Lovely. We'll actually have a, a new item coming into my life. My parents give me their air miles oh. and, and I got a, it's a notebook that looks like a physical notebook and there's a physical pen. And because I actually always use notebooks and yeah. I collect them and I kind of like having them as a document, but I, it's just, a, it is just a lot of paper. Yeah. So I'm very excited to get this and I feel like I'm going to use it as part the notebook for tasks that I still like to keep because I'm old school that way. Mm. And then also drawing and just other things and it automatically uploads uh, 
to your phone as you're going. So it's kind of this combo of old school and new school. Oh, amazing. Then we'll see how it goes. So is this an electronic notebook? Yeah, it's an oh. electronic notebook with an electronic pen. But apparently it feels just like paper and then a wet cloth and you wipe it clean. So it looks like a notebook, but it's just one oh my God. thing inside. Oh, I'm excited to see this because this might be something I need to incorporate into my life. Yeah, there's different sizes of them. So we'll see how, how well it works. Yeah. But it seems, uh, I feel like it could be a new chapter of me having still a paper experience. I like writing. I like drawing, yeah. but less papers. Yeah. Yeah. I keep stealing your, your uh, what you want. No. <laughs> Piggybacking on them. <laughs> Um, we're just inspiring each other endlessly. All right. And with that, shall we, shall we move on to the episode itself? Yes. Do we know who directed this episode? Because I feel self-conscious that we have not been. We haven't been on top of that. Yeah. I feel like, um. And yeah, I would like to just include that information more. So I'm just going to take a look. I do know Jill Soloway directed episode five, my favorite one. I was especially interested in that. Yes. This is the portion of the podcast in which we are looking that up. Yep. Uh, the director was Andrea Arnold. So, uh, yeah, let's dive into uh, some initial thoughts. Another, so- another sound effect. A lot happens in this episode. A lot happens in this episode. And a lot of it is very intense. I mean, just her beginning in the watering hole with the two hot men coming up next to her. And she says, who are you? And they say, "We're your, I'm your miscarriage. And the other one says, I'm your abortion. Which is, like, strikes me as, like, that's kind of dark. What do you make of that? I feel like it's an extension of when she said earlier, I want to own everything in my life. So I felt like somehow it's an extension of that. But when you pointed out, it is really dark. I thought it was really bizarre and interesting, but it's quite dark. But I think that's her literally sort of laying herself bare. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it sort of, I think it means to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, the thought that I had, like other than just, whoa, this is dark, because I'm sure that, I'm sure that if, you do have abortions or miscarriages. Like at least some women must have thoughts of like, who would these people have grown up to be? What it does for me in part is like, as you say, she's owning it. And so it's like the reality of these choices that she's made. Well, the miscarriage isn't a choice, but the reality of like what's happened to her and the choices she's made are kind of like coming back to, so that she can, not in a hunting way. Like, I don't think it was... It doesn't see, strike me as dark in a super creepy way. Like, she is startled when she kind of wakes up out of that, if it was like a dream or a kind of fantasy she had. But it also struck me as interesting that one of them said, did you get to do everything you wanted? Mm-hmm. Right? Because what it is is, like, her reckoning with, I did this, or, like, this mis- miscarriage happened to me, the abortion, like, she chose because you know, she wasn't ready to be a parent or for whatever reason, she decided that that wasn't the choice she was going to make. And so a little bit what they're saying to her is like, are you who you wanted to be? Like, have you done what you wanted? Mm-hmm. And it's like, an, it's an existential moment that begins this episode because they're not angry at her. Like, it's not like it's a, a, a haunting of like past tragedies, the way that gross pro-life arguments 
can really push the idea that any miscarriage or abortion you get, you're going to like deeply regret it later. And it's going to be some sort of like tragedy or some like deep regret of your life. But it's a more existential kind of fantasy that she's having. Because it seems almost more like it's just overwhelming. Mm. And then she has to get out. And then that's the, that is the impetus for her. Mm hmm running inside yeah so it's almost like she really wants to lay it all bare she gets there and then she's like whoa this is a bit much yeah (laughs) and then picks up her stuff drops her socks which i noticed this time and runs in so yeah very very emotional experience Mm -hmm. and then uh runs into into dick's arms and his bath and then we cut to the letter from silver that silver is writing to dick that moment actually just before the the last change that you mentioned Mm -hmm. was one of the original reasons when i first hate watched this series <laughs> I was like oh then why when she's cold does she go and like run into his arms again so that was another moment that I remember not understanding mm. and I still am neutral about it and I know she does want him and she's wanting a different experience yeah yeah I mean it, it seems to me like it's that she's sort of yeah shocked out of something and then she's actually genuinely just frozen and in that moment she actually finds that she needs logistical help, help to get something warm. concrete yeah the traditional ideas of autonomy that you find in political philosophy and ethics are often very masculine ideas of autonomy which imagines an individual to be like a discrete sort of separate thing that is self-sufficient that there is an individual and that like having autonomy means like not needing to depend on anyone ever and i think that there are more feminist ideas of autonomy that are are gaining in popularity both in feminism and in different areas of ethics especially applied ethics especially areas like medical ethics or bioethics where we realize that there are some dimensions in which we need to think of ourselves as discrete individuals, but that in reality, autonomy also sometimes requires like needing other people to help you, to help you like with, you know, maintain a certain level of, of functioning. I don't know that it is necessarily like weak of her to go and ask Dick for help. It is literally just like, this is a thing she needs to do. (laughs) She's like, been immersing in her sort of fantasy life in his water hole, his amazing dick water hole. And she gets out and she's like, literally just like, I need help. And she goes and she asks him for help. And he has this sort of shocked look on his face. Like, what is happening? And then immediately is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come inside and I'll draw you back. And kind of like the anger in the past episodes and the kind of like the desire in the past episodes, she's just owning the fact that she needs help. That her vulnerability is like on display in this sort of embarrassing way but that she's just, she's no longer, like, she's not apologizing for it in a way that I find just refreshing. I don't know, maybe I'm reading way too much into this. (laughs) That is also possible, but. Yeah, no, I I actually see all those things now. I just want, I just remembered the moment when you were talking through it, that I was especially confused by this episode the first time around, but the beauty, I always loved the beauty dance, so it always had me. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna get to the beauty dance. The beauty dance. What do you make of Silvera's letter to Dick? I don't know. I I just when listening to it again today, it sounds so weird and phony. Like I could talk Mm -hmm. about my history with Chris forever, but it wouldn't mean very Mm -hmm. much. And it just, I guess, compared to how good the letters from Chris were, yeah, it seemed to be really bad and boring. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I. I guess it's just sort of showing how, like, now he's so vulnerable, he's so messed up, he's doing the the angry man exercises and then the angry man yoga. I think he's totally and truly lost. And he's trying to recreate it by himself. And he's got that good at writing the Mm -hmm. letters. I agree. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was just me 
it feeling like it it being jarring because we're suddenly not hearing it from her perspective but yeah I found his letters much more fantastic and romantic in a kind of banal way because he's he keeps talking about love and how like there's no shame in loving somebody who just says fuck it I don't love you anymore you said something while we were watching it which is that he's trying to own what's happening to him. And I think that's true. And I think there is something kind of endearing, even in his sort of awkward attempts to do that. But I do think that they're awkward. Grizz doesn't love Dick. It's never been about that for her. It's about desire, Mm -hmm. right? And so he's sort of romanticizing what all of this has been about and what their breakup is about because it's also not clear to me that she doesn't love him anymore. Like, that's left ambiguous. I think she does. Yeah. I think she's just sick of the situation and kind of temporarily walked away. Like, I yeah. feel like if there's more of it, I don't think it's the end of Chris and Silver. Yeah. And and he says something else that I wrote down. You can't love somebody unless you're willing to destroy yourself. Boom, I did it. So I know I can love. Which also just seems hyperbolic. Again, like a bad cliche of what love is. That you have to obliterate yourself to love somebody else. And that doesn't seem healthy and that doesn't seem like what's going on with any of them so it just but it's interesting that wording i do feel like chris is obliterating herself but like setting herself on fire for her own work so she is obliterating herself for herself but this is just different maybe she talks about obliterating the walls of her desire Desire. i guess that was my own choice of words but yeah so i feel like for her what it is is obliterating this this need for pretense and this need to kind of put up facades and walls and and have a kind of like a version of herself that's for herself and a version of herself that she presents to the world. But that's not her, her destroying herself. In fact, like what I've been kind of realizing as we go along here is that there is a kind of unity there. She's she's really trying to kind of put herself together. I feel totally like she's now putting herself together. I guess I felt like at the beginning she was mm. like, you know when she's doing all that bad dancing and all those really awkward early moments? Yeah. I feel like she kind of set herself on fire <laughs> To like reunite, but that's just my own wording. Like yeah. she didn't say yeah, she yeah. was destroying herself, but I feel like she destroyed herself first in in order to be reborn. But yeah, Silver's words were just a bit jarring to me and seemed a bit kind of a bit hyperbolic and a bit kind of like teenagery ideas of love in a way that I'm again like I wish there was another season of this show because I I'm not sure exactly what to make of it or if if it's possible to read too much into it. But it it just it's interesting that we both found it a bit. Well, I guess, too, it's in the way that, like, you know, when, when Dick does a gallery and it's all lines, you're like, yeah, it's okay, it's fine, it's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so very supposed to be the famous academic and the famous writer, and when he mm. writes these letters, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> when she writes them, they're really good, and you yeah. can make a performance piece out of them, so yeah. they just feel like they're much more alive and ignited. Uh, so then, what do we see? We're also seeing... Uh, at the same time as the letter from Silver, we're also seeing the cuts to uh, Devin's poster making, which is printed on that classic uh, I Love Dick kind of like red background with a white writing. Yeah. Which I really liked. Me too. And just the kind of the very like material ways that they're making these. It's not like a photocopy. Like they're literally like printing each poster individually like with white yeah, with ink. an old printing press yeah yeah i love that it takes it's like takes a community to run one of those um, and it was a look like a real community art project to make them and i will just mention here as a producer <laughs> it makes me crazy that there's no date it just says tuesday and i i kind of like that in a way because it does make something out of time like i understand mm. why it could be done mm-hmm. but i always would want to know what Tuesday. Yeah. I guess that's the kind of thing that maybe could happen in a small town, but yeah. not, you wouldn't do that in Toronto. Yeah, no. Because then everyone would be confused. 
Yeah. But I guess even say one Tuesday, someone stays inside and then they see it on Wednesday after the show and they're like, oh, it's next Tuesday. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. But I really like the way they look and I love that they were these hand printed things and mm-hmm. that all of the other academic artists get together and work with Devin yeah. to put the show together. I dig all that. Absolutely. And then Devin goes in person to invite Silver, who's whining, who's throwing horseshoes and who's whining about being a laughing stock because he's so humiliated because as I said in the past, like part of what props up masculinity is like the female gaze right and the kind of traditional female gaze of Mm -hmm. like admiration and he's lost that and so he's lost his his sort of masculine dignity in a way it's interesting in that scene i thought devin was looking at him funny too because i love devin's look like it's so just straight on she's looking at him like really sort of straight on then a little confused by his oddball man hurt (laughs) (laughs) oddball man hurt but just in terms of the gaze, yeah, that he's not getting any of what he wants from Devin's gaze. Yeah, exactly. And and if anything, Devin's gaze is a little bit pitying yeah. and worried, which is not going to help fill the, the gaping hole. I'm glad he went because from that, just that scene, it didn't seem like he was going to go. Remember, he's like, no, no, no. Yeah, no. yeah, exactly. And just quickly, another line from his letter. Would Chris have ever fallen in love with you if I hadn't been there to make it so embarrassing? That was an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm interested in what you make of that. Because for me, it also seems like he misses the point again. Like, it doesn't seem like she did it just because it was embarrassing. She did it despite the fact that it was embarrassing. I feel like that's just an example of how very self-centered he is. Because he just thinks that the whole thing is about him. Yeah. So that was another part in the letter where you're like, oh. (laughs) Because the most devastating thing about this, and this is like, this is true, I think, if if anyone gets um, cheated on, um, most of the time it isn't about you. But I think that it's very natural to read it through that lens. But it's actually more devastating to realize that the decision that your partner made to cheat on you or to betray you in some way had nothing to do with you is even more devastating. And so it's easier actually to read it through the lens of like, somehow this was about me, me. and our relationship. Yeah. When when usually it isn't. I mean, certainly Esther, Esther Perel, the uh, famous Belgian couples therapist who's written on monogamy and love and cheating, talks about this all the time, that, that it's often not about that. It's about a sense of aliveness that the person gets from the from the affair or from the betrayal um, that they're not getting in their relationship already, and I mean certainly that seems to be what this part of this is about for Chris, right? Like there's a part of her that comes alive, and then she grabs hold of and she can't let go. I remember that line the first time I heard about Silvera saying it's it's so embarrassing for him, and I remember just thinking like very specifically, God, it's just not about you, Silvera, right now. This, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it seemed really genuine. I do think it is him trying very hard to be as genuine as he can yeah no i think that's true it's just interesting that his attempt to be genuine sort of misses the mark a little bit from our perspective that we see a distance between how he's still reading it and how we understand what's happening totally well he's not he doesn't have to be a good writer or good at stuff because it seems like remember at the beginning when it was shown like he had all these girls that wanted to sleep with him when it just yeah. so as you said the easy row i feel like dick's like that too he hasn't had to really work he hasn't had to work very hard at seducing people doesn't yeah. seem like yeah and then when all of a sudden it's not about them they very much freak out and as we hear that 
narration, Dick comes into the bathroom to, to offer Chris some clothes and is like very purposely like not looking at like trying to not look at her, but he's making a bit of a performance of not looking at her in this way that I thought was just interesting given that we're talking about male gazes and female gazes and he's leaving these jeans and a shirt and she comes out in these schleppy jeans and his shirt and says that his jeans fit a little too well which I thought was nice symbolic in some way or something like that and just interesting that she's comfortable and not presenting in a particular way right like in contrast to the early episodes where she's like putting on all these like feminine outfits and kind of like very worried about how she appears like now she's just in these like jeans and this plaid shirt and she's like here I am like this is me it is interesting that how he really back like made a show of not looking at her Uh, and that did seem like a bit of a show too I think it was maybe a gentleman show yeah yeah, I think that that's part of what that that was for sure. Yeah, I'm always interested in any action in life. Almost like who is the performance for? It's kind of one of the things that endlessly blows my mind. Like right, like not right now. I'm like we're doing the podcast and it's for us, but sometimes I'm doing something in the house and I'm like, who is this for? Yeah, yeah. What happens next? And then she asks him about the boulders, and she the the snake boulder sculpture that we we see. I think at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, or at the end of the last episode. It's one or the other. I think it might be the end of the last episode. And she says, did you move those yourself? And he just kind of looks at her confused and says, I can't move boulders by myself. (laughs) But is this adorable kind of like, you can imagine her kind of like fantasy of him, like of Dick, like pushing boulders into place on his own. The hyper-masculine image of that is uh, a bit comical. Very comical. In my mind. And then we find ourselves with Chris at Dick's place i guess eating spaghetti is that the next thing i think so eating spaghetti and then drinking like she's just pouring whiskey liberally into her glass like it's juice which i thought was very funny he says what did you think of it and she says yeah i'm not really sure it's my thing and it's like oh my god it's just such a crisscross moment where it's just so goofy you know, like she's she's trying to be charming and it comes out just a bit like jarring and goofy. Yeah. And a little bit off putting. Yes. You're like, yeah. Yeah. I certainly like it, Dick. <laughs> I certainly like your boulder snake. <laughs> I like your boulder snake, too, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's when they they like they finish the dinner and they start dancing. And then we get the cuts between Dick and Chris dancing and having like having some sort of like mating dance. And Devin leading the beauty dance of the... Men of Marfa. The men of Marfa. So including Silver, who's come out, and also the man camp? Is that what it's called? Yeah, some man camp guys that I recognize from that episode. Which I guess makes sense. It would be the people that are around there. Yeah. And the beauty dance she leads. Which reminds me of nothing so much as being a kid at dance camp and just like doing routines with an instructor like at you went the front to dance of the, camp i went to dance camp claude watson yeah that was i i sucked at sports as a child but um so did i yeah but dancing i was good at really yeah I didn't mean to sound surprised. I'm terrible at it. I didn't mean to... <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. Uh, I certainly didn't like like do it so much that I got like you know I didn't start like competing in it or anything. But yeah, it was something that actually I could like move my body and be good at it. And my mother was trying to find me like day camps, so I went to different art. Cam- I think I went to theater camps. Nice. And I went to dance camps for a few years. Yeah, and there would always be like a routine. So that's what that really reminded me of. Because obviously Devin is like improvising this somewhat right because it's not like they've like all gone together for practice rehearsals or being on a cruise ship and somebody like leading a line dance or something like that that's what that reminds me of 
Well, I've got to say, I love the beauty dance. Devin hosts it so beautifully and does such a beautiful job with her like straight ahead stare. Yeah. And then the men of Marfa do a great job. And then Silver brings it home. <laughs> he puts all his man rage and his frustrated man exercise energy. Yeah. It's just like obviously <laughs> such so a hard. kind of catharsis for him. That's some, that's some of that actor's, what's his, what's that actor's name? Uh, Griffin Dunn. Griffin Dunn. That's some of his best moments in this entire series, I think. <laughs> it is. When Sylvair really gives her. his like angry vulnerability. Actually, yeah. Slightly downtrodden, frustrated, just about to give up, angry man action. Yeah. And meanwhile, we see like Dick's extremely stiff dude dancing. That's which right. Which is like he's not in his body and he's not comfortable with uh, like moving around. And also in this beauty dance, we see Toby mm. being drawn back to Devin mm-hmm. when Devin is in the spotlight and doing mm. an awesome job. And then Toby says, I see you. You're beautiful. And that's actually a really lovely thing to say. Yeah. Really lovely. So go Toby. Yeah. Surprisingly like tender authentic moment between those two yeah. yeah and again would have wanted to see more in season two of like how that develops yeah me too and then so the beauty it culminates in the beauty dance mm-hmm. and uh dick and chris doing their <laughs> mating mating dance. dance um and what happens at the end of the beauty dance i feel like i've watched it so many times it just really hits a like a sort of crescendo right yeah and i'm not sure we see them actually stop I think we just, we kind of see the crescendo and then eventually we get a cut to Dick and Chris at their campfire looking at the stars. And then uh, they start, like, Dick kisses Chris and they start to make out and then they move inside in a kind of, like, passionate, teenager-y, sort of frantic way. He did start kissing her in the middle of a sentence, like yes, she was talking. she was. And uh, that also seemed really young and teenager-y because you're like, just don't interrupt someone with a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if uh, any of you ever are interested in dating Lisa Wagner, do not kiss her while she's saying a sentence. <laughs> Hot tip. Yeah. No, and it's also it's also that kind of thing you do when you're a kind of shy teenager and you're like trying to catch somebody a little bit off guard. Yeah, I guess that's because true. Because it, it seems less intense to approach somebody than if you're both just staring at each other and then you go in for the kiss, which can feel a little bit more awkward. Yeah, I guess it's like how he showed up at her uh, hotel room to surprise. Yeah. It's a surprise tactic of Yes, Dick. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can see that this is... Dick has a history of moves like this. Oh, Dick. Absolutely. Because he's nervous at base. I think so. Yeah, they they move inside with their frantic teenager. And in one moment that I... Because I had that thought. I was like, am I just projecting onto this that this is a little bit teenagery, And not in a bad way. I don't want to... I actually was very um, captivated by this entire scene because it seemed actually, like, momentarily sexy to me, which is unusual for this series because a lot of the sex is unsexy. And then at one point Chris says, like, I'm scared. Never mind. I'm not scared. I'm not sure why I said that. And that just struck me as the kind of thing that you say when you're, like, 18 and you, like, accidentally say that you're scared, but then you're like, oh, that was an awkward thing to say. I take it back. Never mind. Because... Yeah, like, there's just been such build-up around mm-hmm. Dick as an idea for her that I can imagine it being scary in the same way that sex is scary when you're a teenager and you've, like, you've been imagining certain things, but you haven't actually experienced the reality of them. Yes. And she's been with Silver since, like, for a super, super, super long time. Exactly, because she also freaks out a little bit in the hotel room. And for different reasons, because, you know, it's a little bit less authentic, his uh, seduction ritual 
in the hotel room is a little bit cheesier. And I think that was part of it for her. But yeah, it's clear from like that episode and then this one that it is, yeah, and it can be a jarring thing if you're with one partner for so long and then suddenly to be with somebody else, there's like an unreal quality to it. (laughs) She says like, what does your belt buckle say? Like, it's just like this weird kind of like, like weird diversion because it's like it's like she's sort of uncomfortable with the the immediacy of the the, situation feel yeah Yeah. the the emotional side of the situation it just struck me as something that i would say that's how i know that (laughs) (laughs) then they they start getting sexy so they like it's getting hot and heavy and at one point he says stop 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 i want to see your tits and he pushes her back and i thought that was interesting and again i'm just going back to the john burger stuff and the way that like the male gaze has been constructed and you're keeping somebody at a distance and then you're kind of looking at their parts rather than who they are and he starts focusing on her tits for example Mm. right he's like he's like you have the most beautiful breasts or whatever he said breasts (laughs) does he i you've seen this so many times i did not notice that continuing to get hot and heavy he's obviously got his hand like in her crotch everything is amazing until he pulls out his hand and is covered in blood and just before that was one of the rare dick smiles because he said oh you're so wet for me with this huge grin which mm-hmm. is always just funny yeah yeah some of what he was saying was like so uh, like uh, like from a romance novel or from pornography or something like it just struck me as very scripty the kind of cultural scripts yeah that often inform sexual situations and so it was sort of like a moment of like yeah validation for him in that way masculine validation and then he realizes that a lot of that is actually just her period blood and it immediately kills the mood i if you remember the first episode where she approaches him and then she says something like i'm married or my husband is here yeah and like it goes from the atmospheric kind of cloud around them suddenly breaks Mm -hmm. and it felt like that happened again even though we didn't hear that in the sound effects and he just he's like looking at his hand and he like steps back and he just looks stunned and then he he's like uh i'll be i'll be right back and he goes into the bathroom and he's regrouping and washing his hand and what that reminded me of in within the series is during the history of weird girls episode when paula sees her mother's tampon and all these different parts of her mother that she's loved, like somehow the tampon string breaks that aura around her mother. Mm, yeah. And she suddenly, like it's this one thing that is about like the reality of a body and it shatters this affection or love or admiration she has for her mother. And her mother becomes something that kind of disgusts her. And it reminded me of that moment maybe he doesn't want to be repulsed by her period blood but he is yeah it breaks the spell and so ends up basically rejecting her i mean like and again chris then leaves before we can find out how he would have come back to that moment in a way that i also totally sympathized with because i probably would have left too but yeah just the fact that like she looks beautiful but then suddenly there's some bodily reality of her you know traditional womanhood obviously like there are lots of people with uteruses who are trans who are non-binary who are trans men but just that being kind of historically a kind of symbol of uncleanliness and like associated with womanhood Mm -hmm. that being suddenly something that like repels the sexual spell that has been cast over the and what do you make of her leaving i love that she leaves with his shorts and his hat oh i love (laughs) love her little kleptoness i love it what do you make of her just leaving i loved it 
I thought it was, I found it very satisfying that she left. You, you can see her clocking why he's in there and clocking the fact that he has to take a minute and that she can't abide that anymore because I think she is, her entire journey through this, this season has been to accept herself and embrace herself faults and all even though like a period isn't a fault it is certainly not like the prettiest part of one's body right it's certainly not something that is traditionally thought of as sexy and the fact that that was able to break the spell for him i think killed the mood for her Mm. and also just what it struck me as and as somebody who i was saying this to you during the episode and i won't go into a lot of details listeners but i have been in situations not unlike this one with ex-boyfriends who just can't handle the fact that, like, I have a period sometimes. Like, I understand. Like, I don't know. I don't, I'm sort of working through my thoughts here. I understand that, like, not everyone is accustomed to blood or everyone, like, loves that or everyone's going to be super cool with it. Let's get real. Like, her vaginal juices were fine with him. Exciting even for him. There are... There, are, there is so much, like male ejaculate that happens during sex and yet suddenly period blood is like a categorically different thing like that is bullshit it is messier to clean up but the idea that it would be unsexy or repulsive is undignifying to me at this point and i think if i had a partner react like that again like it would kill any desire i had for them in the first place because it seems like such a kind of like like Chris Krauss has has done so much work to embrace herself as a unity in contrast to the the traditional fragmentation of what the male gaze has done to femininity traditionally that it's like she kind of can't like she can't like to move backwards to kind of to to again agree to partition herself or apologize or like hide part of herself for him would be going like it would be too far and i guess even as i asked you and you were talking i picked i realized too that i think she could see that there's no there's nothing there for her anymore that's gonna make it better or or enhance the experience so she's like i'm out (laughs) yes yeah yeah and it revealed something about him Right, that he still is stuck inside this like very narrow idea of masculinity that I think this is just un- unacceptable and, and probably undesirable for her. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because the entire series has been about her harnessing her desire for him in order to kind of recreate her relationship with herself. And then at the end, it's like she releases that desire or he gives her a reason to release that desire because he's shown her that he doesn't have the same integrity of character that she does if that makes sense like he's still kind of stuck in a narrow idea of desire and masculinity and sex and she's gotten to a place in her journey where she can't she just can't with that in a way that is like fascinating and that i will continue to think about for a long time because i'm not sure i'm i appreciate listeners you listening to us talk about talk our windy thoughts around this episode because I think as we're struggling to think about what the female gaze is and what a female what what a woman's journey is and what that can look like in contrast to the traditional hero's journey in contrast to the very traditional masculine gaze that we get in so much of our media that we're we're saturated with it every day to think about what is not that is not easy mm-hmm. and I think that what I love about this series is that it is actually asking us to do that but not leading us down the garden path and i like the cuts between kevin bacon and or dick and silver because that whole beauty dance 
the whole point of it, my understanding is that like it's like it's Devin's attempt to kind of think about masculinity and masculine beauty more robustly. And the, there's a the serious contrast of of Dick, who doesn't grow as a character, right? Both Chris and Silver. I mean, Silver doesn't grow as much as Chris, but he changes. Yeah, or he tries to move forward. And Dick, just like all of them, is trying to kind of break out of his world. And he talks about that and he, he leaves the, the gallery and he's saying to Chris that he he ran away to, to try and kind of like escape something. And he's realizing that actually what he was trying to escape is still inside him. And he might kind of recognize that he still has that journey to go on, but he is still. And that image of Chris walking away from his house with the period blood running down her leg, walking defiantly... Into the desert with the shorts and the cowboy boots and the cowboy hat is like a beautiful image of like, uh, you know, a kind of like sexy woman cowboy figure that, you know, she's like in some ways taken up some of that swagger into herself. Yeah, she did take some of that swagger into herself. And it reminds me also, uh, yeah, it was Gloria Steinem said, our generation of women are becoming the men we wanted to marry. Oh, yeah. Because the men that we want are not the kind, like, they're, they're, as people, they're not who we want them to be. <laughs> because there's all sorts of different ways of thinking about that. But she started out with a deep kind of desire and admiration for Dick, but it wasn't about him, right? It was sort of about her relationship with herself. And at the end, it's very clear in the imagery of that final scene of her swaggering away from, from his ranch that she has kind of taken what she needs from him. That's the sense that I got as we were talking about that when she walked away. I feel like she's gotten all that she can get yeah. from this sitch and she just is out. Yeah. The, the shot of the blood going down her leg, I actually was reminded again, I really would like to do put on the white morph suit that I perform in a lot at mm. some point and do some public bleed out. Cause it really, it, I haven't tried <laughs> it that yet, but it's yeah. very, yeah, like free bleeding into the white suit. And I think I'd have to sit sort of up on a stool. Um, but yeah, just how that would perform and maybe to do that on film um, or I started picturing it in a gallery, but that'd be tricky timing, <laughs> the exact right timing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think it's a really interesting image. You see it in, in like feminist art and in art to a certain mm -hmm. extent, but it is, really provocative. Mm -hmm. uh, I also had had lovers horrified by the sight of blood. <laughs> it always, I just always, I guess, felt bad for them, but it is, this, it does seem to be pretty common. And then to find someone who's completely turned on by it, it is really lovely because you yeah. just feel so com complete. You don't have to. Because women are already made to feel so apologetic about our bodies in general, that it's just like one more thing to be apologetic about. And when somebody is cool with it, it is just very liberating. Yeah. So yeah, that's an, a very interesting aspect. Um, but that moment of freeze, I've actually had that literal a couple of times <laughs> where it was unexpected and someone's like, oh, and it did seem, but I remember <laughs> chatting with one fellow and he said that he really, he said it looked to him as if violence had happened. Like that's how it, the reaction was to him. So I was like, fair enough. But mm. then I don't know, figure it out. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, I guess. Cause it's not that it's just, that's what it looks like yeah. in that moment. If you've haven't. Yeah, and I get it if you're, you know, your body isn't the kind of body that um, has periods, then you would not be used to it. If you are somebody who wants to sleep with women, surely that's something that you 
would get used to. And also, my body is not the kind of body that produces ejaculate. Uh, and yet, I'm okay. I can... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to freeze or run out of the room. You know, it's its own weird substance. So, because we have bodies. People have bodies. And sometimes they do things. So, yeah, that was also just a moment that I remember when I first watched it. I didn't see how that was empowering. But now I understand in a different way. Um, I remember thinking that moment that she left and she was bleeding. I guess, yeah, it was, I guess just, I was just confused Mm. by it. But again, I think I was still buying into this hero's journey that there was things that needed to be accomplished. And that sort of seemed like a bizarre ending in my books the first time around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to think outside the hero's journey journey box. box. So it, it will be kind of, I think, baffling and confusing sometimes and not quite. And as you know, I've thought about and talked about the hero's journey, not thinking about it being a gendered thing. Remember, we've talked about that in terms of acting. I considered the term the hero's journey based on what Eric Rose, this director that I worked with years ago, talked about like shit happening to you, but you just take it. You don't, you're not dramatic. You don't over dramatize it. Just take it in and keep going. Mm -hmm. And that really stayed with me in terms of acting and performing and other people's things, especially to keep that in mind. So your characters don't ever become like pathetic or yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I never thought of that as gendered. I thought of that as a human idea, but Mm -hmm. I see now how that is a one kind of journey and for sure still a good one. I'm not throwing that out. Yeah. But it's not the one by yeah, any means. Exactly. Because the idea of admitting your vulnerability isn't antithetical to a hero's journey, even though it's a fine balance, right? Because you don't want to be the sort of person who spins out when something bad happens and kind of gets lost in your spinning out about like what this is going to mean and how you're trapped and how there's nothing you can do. Like, that's not an interesting thing to watch. That's a very stressful thing to watch. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea of having some resilience and some kind of, like, bounce back is, is something that you need for drama. But also the idea of vulnerability and admitting vulnerability sometimes being an interesting thing to watch, which is some of what we see in this series. And kind of like what I was saying at the beginning of this episode, the idea that we are connected to each other and we do depend on each other and we are vulnerable to each other. And, and to deny that is a very like toxic masculine thing. Yeah. Um, and sometimes to own it in interesting ways, I think can be refreshing and striking and powerful. All right, listeners, this is the last episode of I love Dick. And now we're going to officially launch this podcast. It's very exciting. Yes. I know some of you have already heard it on the sly. Yep. But the official launch comes next. Yeah. And I feel like it could be nifty, perhaps down the road and even some years to maybe recap, not necessarily do the whole thing at all, but just do one episode of I Love Dick, like down the road. Of, yeah. Because there's so many things we start to think about and it would be interesting to, yeah, re- to revisit to it. To revisit and... it as a one-off. Yeah. Perhaps watch it separately and just watch, I don't know, if certain parts together yeah and then reconsider because yeah there's so much stuff i find so interesting and now i i really feel like i almost want to revisit my whole idea of a a hero's journey for myself as a performer as a storyteller as a human being yeah Uh, so it's been a great eight episodes yeah because i'll just say this quickly and i think we'll probably be revisiting this as we think about the hero's journey but i know in the western canon like you know joseph campbell is a um is a writer who's written about the hero's journey. And in fact, Star Wars is based on his um, formulaic breakdown of what a hero's journey looks like. And there are, there are views within the kind of traditional literary criticism and um, art history and literature history 
that there are certain stories that um, embody the universal, right? So often like Greek tragedies are thought of in this way, like it embodies something kind of universally human. I now am starting to think that that is a dangerous way to think of it because I think that it it embodies one of many human possibilities. Yeah. Because I think when we start to center these narratives as universally human, what that does is really restrict our idea of what counts as universally human, often to white people and often to white men. And that that is held up as the kind of, the essence of humanity in a way that everything else is a kind of diversion or derivative or perversion mm-hmm. of of what it means to be essentially human. And I think that to push back against that um, very canonical traditional idea of certain narratives being core universal narratives is really important for the female case. That just actually, I was at a meeting recently and someone said, imagine if there was no notion of disability. We were all just people and we all could just do different stuff differently. And yeah. it just reminded me of that same thing. Like, yeah. it's like, whoa, yeah. imagine if that didn't exist. And there's just people that had to do it this way and people that did it this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Yes. There's a lot. There's a lot to that. A lot to that. Well, and we will come back to that in future episodes, listeners. Wonderful. All right. Well, I think that that's all we have to say for now. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this series so far so far and we're excited to move on to other things and some other people and some other guests and next for just the two of us californication Woot. Woot. Now, now that, that we've, we've said, said it, it we, we gotta, gotta get, get it, it. Woot. <laughs>